Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Today we zoom in with our maritime telescope onto a specific area of the UK to explore its maritime heritage, the wonderful Essex coastline. For those of you not necessarily familiar with the geography of England, then this is the beautiful area a little to the north and east of London. And we're finding out today particularly about boats built in Essex and the history of boat building infrastructure that created them. This is a story of 130 vessels all built in Essex before 1965 that have somehow survived. Many in the most surprising ways with roles that these vessels were never originally intended for. Others have been rescued from a rotting death on the shoreline and lovingly restored in sheds, up estuaries, on beaches, all the way up the Essex coast. They vary from 80-foot Thames barges, there are three classes of fishing smacks, important pulling boats, skiffs and bumpkins. I've got no idea what an Essex bumpkin is, but I want one. To find out more, I spoke with Lyndon March, who helps run a recently formed community dedicated to preserving these wonderful craft and also to telling their story. You can find Essex Heritage Workboats on Instagram and a lovingly maintained site it is. I would thoroughly encourage you to look at that. Their job is to build a community that helps these boat owners learn about their vessel's history and appreciate the value that they have in the history of maritime Essex. And they plan to develop sustainable fishing and transport using these wonderful craft, rebuilding infrastructure, as well as hosting events and helping owners draw down funding. And so to tell us more, here is a man committed to preserving the maritime past. He's an exemplar to us all, a man who has willingly submerged himself in the waters of maritime research and local history to shine a light on his particular part of the world and the work of the boats that he loves. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoy talking with him. Here is the hard-working, creative and endlessly enthusiastic Lyndon. Lyndon, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. It's brilliant. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to join you, Sam. So, um, Essex, why don't you start off by describing the Essex coast for us, for people who've never been there? So. Uh... 
Bromford and Basildon and these built-up cities and the London sprawl and suburbs. But it's it's very similar uh, in a lot of ways to the North Norfolk coast and, and the Suffolk coast, this uh, the salt marsh and mud and uh, very tidal little creeks and estuaries that run up into little quaint market towns. Yes, they're lovely, aren't they? You've got the, um, the some fairly magnificent estuaries. Tell us a little about some of your your big estuaries, like the the Blackwater. So, so the main the main estuaries that run in are the the Blackwater and the Colne. Um, the Blackwater is uh, nearly as wide as it is long and runs and dwindles all the way up to a quaint little market town called Morden. And then the Colne um, skirts round the back of the Blackwater into Brightlingsea, past Mersey, and right up to uh, Colchester eventually. Um, again, very classic muddy little estuaries with wading birds, and uh, you've got loads and loads of water. We like to say, but it's spread very thinly. Ah, do you have much tide? Yeah, there's a fair amount of tide. Being tidal estuaries, um, it's you've got a knot maybe. Um, it's not racing in and out, but th- there's enough to contend with. Um, you certainly wouldn't want to punch a foul tide. No, no, no. I mean, um, <laughs> interesting. I'm, I'm calling you uh, today from Exeter. We have the X where it can go up and down by four metres and it can be truly terrifying. Yeah, we don't have, quite have that. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone gets stuck in the estuary. It's part of sailing on the X. That's the purpose of what you do. Um, so, and is there a, um, uh, a good amount of people who take to the water for leisure? Yeah, I would say it's a um, it's a really passionate little scene of uh, like-minded people who uh, who get out. There's um, some great sailing clubs um, which have got you know modern boats and uh, dinghies out, and then in the traditional boat scene, uh, which is what I'm more familiar with, um, we've got barges and smacks and bullies and bumpkins, and I'd say there's something you can do every weekend. Mm. And I suppose up at the north by Harwich and Felixstowe, you've got some fairly major, um, you know, industrial commercial maritime operations, haven't you? Yeah. So um, even since the navy have moved out of the um, of that part of the world, it's still very very busy. And obviously, the new container port built at Felixstowe opposite Harwich really does um, take away a lot of the trade from Harwich. But it's still a very busy, important port. Yeah. So you've got this sense of modern, the modern maritime world going around its busy work at the north there. Um, but we're going to talk today about the um, the older Essex work boats. Uh, give us a sense of the variety of craft that we're talking about. Um, so it's very diverse, the boats in Essex. Um, we've got everything from cargo vessels that used to ply their trade up to London to um, smaller fishing boats that used to shoot out to the North Sea to uh, much smaller working craft that just dredged for oysters or picked up whelks in the river, as well as a few passenger boats and a few um, unique specialist craft that were built here that went to work elsewhere. Mm. Is the survival rate of them good? I mean, how many? how many is the historic fleet? How big is it? Um, so we've got 130 registered boats on our register. Oh, wow, OK. And we're always finding more. Um, and they vary in size from 84 feet right down to uh, 12 feet. And how would one go around getting on your register? Um, so to get on our register, just contact us um, and reach out. And then um, it's quite a nice process of working through the research and, and finding a little bit more. It's very early days for us building our register, but we've um, managed to secure some funding, so hopefully we can start to collect more and more information. It's just about finding not only the history of the boat, but how that links in with all of the people involved in their stories. 
Yes, I think it's a wonderful idea. So, I mean, often with historic uh, historic vessels, people are so focused on on helping preserve the vessel itself. But you guys are getting involved in the history and the research um, to kind of well, to, to demonstrate how how that vessel fits into the history of Essex. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Um, and what we'd like is that this becomes a pattern that other people could pick up and adopt. So, you know, um, up in North Norfolk, they could take the idea and build it around their history. And it's, it's exposed some really interesting social history. One of the great discoveries have been uh, the Tendall Baskets, which is a basket unique to Essex and highly endangered. It's a basket with a, with a wide handle and a wide base, and the idea is that you can push on the handle to help you out the mud when you're picking oysters at low tide. Um, <laughs> and they're built of elm and uh, very, very unique and rare, uh, but we've slowly been working with the Basket Makers Association and Old Fishermen on Mersey Island and vessel owners within the register and started to uh, rebuild this. And, and with that comes stories and histories of smacks and then photographs of uh, these things being used. So it's quite interesting how just one little thing highlighted on a boat can become this sort of bigger, wider project. That's wonderful. So in that instance, did you come across a basket on an old oyster boat or was there one in a museum or one in someone's house? Where was the original one? The, the, the original one was uh, owned by someone on the register. And since then, we found another six of varying ages and we found some copies, which are much later. And they show how even right up until the 60s, the fishermen were using them, but they changed the materials because they could no longer get the elm. So they changed the willow and they started using a wire mesh. So it's a they really encapsulate the story of just what is a a tiny piece in in such a big social history of of our coastline. Yeah, wonderful story. Uh, tell me how you go around doing the research. Is it just you? Do you have a team of volunteers? At the moment, it's just myself and uh, Gerard Swift and, and his wife, Helen. Um, and it's a case of going to the register office and asking people within, our cl- within the collection and register what they remember and piecing together photographs. Um, so at the moment, you've probably seen our Instagram. We're working our way around the coast, looking at ports and highlighting them. And through that, we're looking at what those builders or um, vessels within that area can tell us about the area and therefore the history builds on. And we also tend to look at boats that are at the moment going for a rebuild or restoration because there's a lot of interest in them at the time and that brings people forward that were following the project that uh, might have a link to the story. Mm. Let's go um, through a couple of examples from your excellent Instagram project and tell us all how (laughs) how to find you on Instagram as well. Um, yep, so yeah, you can find us on uh, Instagram under Essex Heritage Workboats. So yeah, we started uh, in alphabetical order, which um, seems like a, the best place, logical place to start, <laughs> which of course doesn't work very well because uh, the ports are all over the place uh, in terms of the alphabet. Um, so we've really been uh, of late focusing on Brightlingsea, which has been such an interesting port. It's uh, very, very old and historic. And it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, we always think of Brightening Sea on this coast as having the Alder shipyard, which was by far of its time one of the biggest and most important. Uh, but as we've discovered, Alder's also built on <clears throat> from what was an earlier yard. Um, and then he also had a, another little side project going with his foreman, which feels very bizarre. So he was involved in this huge yard, but still he was building another type of boat with another group of people. <laughs> That's great. It's a man full of energy. And what type of boats was uh, Aldous building? So Aldous were famous for building um, smacks, um, which is a East Coast fishing vessel. Very, uh, very distinctive with their plum stems and long counters. 
These boats ranged um, from sort of 32 foot, which were the smaller inshore oyster craft, to big 60 foot cod smacks that would go out to the North Sea. Unfortunately, none of the bigger ones survive, um, except a really interesting vessel called the Pioneer, who was altered by orders, but actually built by another yard called Harris, which uh, really shows the uh, how, how complex the story of our coastline is. Yeah, uh, you've got some fantastic photos um, illustrating that history. Where is the record office? Where do you actually have to go to, to do the research? The record office is, is Essex Records Office um, in, Chel- right. in Chelmsford, which feels a million miles from the sea. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's actually quite interesting that when you start delving into um, the Mersey Museum and the Brightling Sea Museum and the Harwich Museum, there's these little artefacts um, and little snippets that really um, show the story. And we can glean little bits of information that might be in another collection that then inform what we're looking at. And with the social history, looking at uh, the censuses and also looking at the newspaper archives being really important, give a real flavour of the time and, and some stories that have just been lost. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking here at um, one of your maps, so a bit of map regression, which is um, a, a, a skill that archaeologists are taught. This is when you um, you go back looking at older and old, increasingly older maps to try and identify when things appeared. Yep. Um, it's, a, it's a good way of researching it. And you've got a, a great little one here highlighting Kidbees. Tell us about Kidbees. Uh, Kidbees is a really interesting um, little little boat builder in Brightlingsea. Only two of their smack sailing vessels survive, and they were famous for building yachts. But they were in, only around for a very, very short period of time and actually were what we wouldn't class as a waterfront yard. They were not on the waterfront, so it meant their vessels were built further back in the town or in the, or, um, in the village and then brought down by horse and cart, which is quite a sight when you think of a 45-foot smack like the Myalis balancing precariously on a horse and cart coming down to the yeah. water. Amazing. That reminds me of um, the, the submarines in Barrow and Furness. It's kind of like an older version of that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it was there was a, quite a number of boat builders in the town, and there was uh, for Brightling Sea and, and many of the East Coast towns. There was no different to um, anywhere else in the country. It was very normal to build a boat in the town if that's where you lived and that's where you had a space. You'd, you'd build your boat in the town and then worry about how to get it to the water much later. Um, you know, practical people. Yeah, any problem can be solved. And tell me about Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Stones as well. Here's another interesting shipbuilder. 
Stones is, is a fantastic shipbuilder, and again, a few of their craft survive, um, and a much more, much more diverse uh, range of vessels because they were also building barges as well as um, smacks and uh, very, very nice yachts. And what's interesting about them is that they moved their operation from Erif, which feels like a brilliant place to be based on the Thames, and then to move to Brightlingsea. And so that's a little bit of the story that it's going to be it's tricky for us to find and solve why the move but we can only we can only guess it's because that's where they all apprentice so they know the area and and also that brightling sea was so busy and so bustling that it was worth the move from the busy london river mm. so um w- w- what's next on the uh, in the great alphabet of essex in the great alphabet of Essex. Um, <laughs> we've got James and Stones to look at next, which is the final regression of Stones. James and Stones uh, formed in 1948, and then they ran through right up until the 80s. There's a lot of living memory of people in um, Brightling Sea of remembering James and Stones. Mm. Fortun- unfortunately, their shipyard, which had a, a large, large slipway and a fantastic shed that you could even put a barge inside of, has now become flats. Um, but it, So that would be very interesting, though, because I think there'll be a lot more living history um, looking at James and Stones. Mm. Uh, so that's next. And then we're on to looking at um, Burnham, which will be very interesting because Burnham's not known as a as a hub of building working craft. It's known for its fine yachts and uh, yeah. sort of the, uh, the cows of this coast. But um, it will be interesting to see because they did build working craft there. Mm. And I mean, did they also build pleasure craft? Does this history of yachting in Burnham have... Um... Does that go back a few years, or was it something that came in the twentieth century? No, no, it's quite it's quite an old history. And ironically, uh, Burnham and Pagglesham were really the very early places for for very fine yachts, and have sort of fallen into obscurity. Brightlingsea as well had a had a had a large thing, and it was because the sailors that sailed these boats in the Mediterranean and across the Atlantic and took the King's J class racing were all local men. They were from Mersey and Tolsbury and and Burnham and Brightlingsea, and and they would wear their racing Guernseys with the ship with the uh, yacht they crewed proudly all, all winter while they fished. Um, and so the history is very very tangled up, and that's why our working craft began to resemble very very modestly, but. They began to resemble fine yachts with these long counters and very plum stems. They just followed the fashion. It was nothing to do with the fishing. No, but very beautiful as well. And you also have a a, um, a practice of racing historic craft, don't you? Yes. Um, and the, the Thames match, uh, which is the Thames sailing barge match, is the second oldest sporting event in the world. And that really, really <laughs> demonstrates the, the, the love for uh, racing on this coast. And it's only the second oldest to the America's Cup, which feels very impressive. And despite that being on the Thames, that really sets the precedence for the for the local races. So there's a, there's a regatta at Harwich, Wivenhoe, Rowhedge, Brightlingsea, Mersey, Morden. They all have their local regatta, as well as these uh, seven barge matches a year all around the coast and followed up by smack races and the old gaffers. And so there's a real, there's a real love and appetite for it around here. Um, and it's quite interesting because a lot of the races the vessels aren't handicapped, which means uh, if your vessel is slow, you're slow. If your vessel is fast, you're fast. And it, so it never levels out. So a lot of people are just sailing around the course and not taking any any trophies home. But it's it's the love of the boats. Yeah, that's my kind of that's my kind of competitive sailing, just pootling about, <laughs> but but taking part. Um, and tell me how you got um, involved in all of this. Where did this this great idea and scheme come from? So for me, I'm a, I'm a Thames barge skipper and uh, avid smack sailor or smackhead, as we say around here. Um, <laughs> and I've been on and off the water, you know, since, since I was very young. 
and uh, I've is really that from a family is that from a family interest? no no my family aren't um aren't sailors at all that is purely uh something i fell into and i think the people are so fantastic and it, and it's the people and the history and the boats it's sort of a big melting pot of of stuff and also how exciting when you're young you know i'm on a boat and i, I leave more than i go somewhere that it feels magical and different. So, uh, no, uh, not through family, and but I've been on the water since I was, yeah, 13. Um, now a Thames barge skipper. And, uh, yeah, it's how I make my living as a boat builder and sailor. And um, it's how I spend all my free time as well. Oh, that's wonderful, wonderful. Um, and tell me about the... You are talking about getting involved when you were young. Tell us about the communities that are involved with these historic craft. Um, so the communities are great. Uh, they, they are... Um, really welcoming and I think they're always excited for new younger people. The boats fell into disrepair after their working lives and in the 60s and 70s and right up to the 80s there was a real passionate bunch of people that, that took them on and restored them but of course these people are getting older and so people who want to be involved are really welcomed and, and, and brought into the fold of, of traditional boats. It's a great organisations uh, that take young people and older people and people with disabilities and get them out in the water and, and get them involved in the craft. Brilliant. Um, and you mentioned there about boats going beyond their working lives. It's it's definitely an area that I've always been interested in. How these how these vessels often take on another life completely unassociated to what they were originally intended for. Can you give us some interesting examples from Essex? Yeah, so, um, the, for example, the Bodicea, she's a fishing smack, believed to be built at Morden. Um, no one's quite sure when she was built. Um, I can't quote you on her build date, but I'm sure it's pre-1850, which feels very old. And she was built in a style of a French boat, which is something that would have been seen on our coast even earlier than that. And so to find her still sailing today is quite incredible. And then we've got stuff like um, the uh, Spratz gifts. They were built very cheaply, very robustly for one purpose, and that was to scull out to the stowboaters, collect the Spratz and bring them back to the hard, a journey of not even a mile. They were thrown together. They have very, very wide planks, very crudely built. And, and yet some of them are still about today. Um, the Lillian, the Mystery, they're all still sailing, which is this is unbelievable, really, when you think of them. And, and our barges, they had such heavy lives, lots of them carrying um, hay up and down to London, and then they became gravel boats, so they were getting knocked about. Um, and when they finished with their sailing days, they went on to be motorboats. And so, you know, it's, it's not unusual on this part of the coast that the boat is well over 100 years old. Mm. Yeah, I was recently in um, in Stockholm looking at their harbour, and they had some really old timber craft there, which had been repurposed as restaurants and various things, which I thought was interesting. Do you have any any examples of, of boats becoming houseboats? I've always found that fascinating. Yeah, that's a big way. Um, not really in the in some of the smaller boats, but in the barges, that's a big part of their survival story, really. Um, sold off in the 1970s when they finished as motorboats, they became houseboats, liverboards, and slowly they went from being just hulks with uh, with no rigging to having their rigging and masts restored um, and surviving again. The George Smee is a fantastic example. She uh, spent her whole life on the coast sailing. She became a timber lighter and then she ended up at Morden as a houseboat and she's been slowly worked on um re-rigged and now she's out sailing again so so that houseboat story is quite important in the in the survival of a lot of our craft mm. 
And what about the vessels that haven't survived, that perhaps are lying in the mud? Do you have lots of hulks up your wonderful estuaries? They are, but they're normally about 20 foot under mud, so they, they're not visible. Um, obviously, the Pioneer, if you're familiar with that story, is a fantastic... Um, no, I don't know that one. Tell us about that one. The, the Pioneer was a, a, a Skillinger, so she, she was a, originally started life as a very small or smallish 45 foot smack. She was lengthened to nearly 60 foot um, in her working life, so she could go and catch oysters off of the Dutch coast, which it would have been a very hard life and hard work. She then returned to Malden, um, where she sat around in the Blackwater for many years, and eventually she ended up as a hulk in uh, Mersey, um, just bones until a team pulled her out the mud and I implore anyone to go and look at the pictures because she's just three or four sticks um, and was completely rebuilt, her lines taken and fared out and there was enough there for them to rebuild the vessel and get her sailing again, which is just, you know, incredible. And there's lots of interesting wrecks like that that one day possibly could be. And I think that's why it's so important that the wrecks are left um, and not cleared away or cut up or disposed of. Yeah, but good to keep a record of them. Um, I think that's important. I know there's some work being done in the north of Devon um, uh, coming up next year, recording uh, vessels in the Tor and the Torridge estuaries. Um, have you got any any work there, sort of surveying what's in the in the estuaries? We haven't yet, but it would be really fantastic to get out um, and look at a few of the very important wrecks. Um, I can think of where several smacks are uh, are laying, and I'd really like to at least record their lines. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, just for prosperity, really. Mm, mm. Well, listen, it's fascinating. And I think what you're doing is truly brilliant. So keep going. And um, I will definitely come back and uh, you can tell us more about it. I mean, you might even come up to Essex and we can do, do a bit of filming. That sounds great. All right. Cheers, Linda. Thank you very much. Lovely. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you all for listening and I hope you enjoyed this fascinating episode. Be sure to find Essex Heritage Workboats and follow them on Instagram. For those of you who are new to us, then thanks for coming. Please leave a review on iTunes or however you listen to the podcast. It makes a huge difference to how people discover us. And also, don't forget the power of word of mouth. Anything you can do to spread the word will help the podcast, which will, in turn, benefit small projects like the brilliant Essex Heritage Workboats, and thus to the benefit of us all. Also, please don't let this be the last thing you do to interact with our podcast. There is now a fantastic back catalogue of episodes with a little bit of something for everyone. Iconic ships, great naval battles, maritime archaeology, shipwreck discovery, exploration, shanties, you name it, we've got it. We also have a fabulous YouTube channel full of the most amazing videos. My recent favourites being the animation of a vessel taken from a fabulous little pamphlet called Freak Ships of the 19th Century. I'll leave you to find out all about that. The podcast comes from both the Society for Nautical Research and the Lloyds Register Foundation. Please particularly check out the latest project of the Lloyds Register Foundation, which is called Maritime Innovation in Miniature. They're filming the world's best ship models using the very latest camera technology, and the results are truly fantastic. Please also join the Society for Nautical Research. You can find them at snr.org.uk. It's a brilliant place not only to find out about the maritime time passed from the very best in the business, but also to meet people who share your interests. Thank you very much for listening.